Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. God, let's pray as we... Take a seat this morning. Father, we are grateful to be here again, that you and your good care for us and in your provision and generosity have allowed your people to gather. You've allowed us to gather, to sing to you, to offer praises and fragrant offerings to you as we are living sacrifices. And we can do this only because of the work of Christ on our behalf. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, I cannot speak words of life and truth, so I pray that you would guard my mouth and you would, uh, Holy Spirit, empower us to understand what you would have for us in your word this morning, your living and active word, your good word, and we're grateful that we can do this. In Christ we pray, amen. Well, before we get started, I wanted to show you something that hopefully you got on the way in, uh, and that is our Advent guides. Do these not look awesome? Uh, A lot of hard work going into these. Uh, If you did not receive an Advent guide, uh, please, a family unit, grab one on the way out. So uh, uh, if you are single, then please grab one. If you are uh, married with a family, why don't you grab one for your family just so that we have enough for everybody. Um, But it's hard to believe that Advent will start uh, this next week. We'll uh, be looking at uh, the names of our King Jesus in our series in Advent coming up beginning next week. I was saying to a couple of people here a minute ago that we never, we never say that Christmas or Advent arrives at the appropriate time. We always say, man, it got here really quick. And it did. It got here really quick. Uh, once again, we are about to celebrate uh, the birth of our King Jesus. Uh, and so we want to equip you and your family with the Advent guides. There's some really good stuff in here. Uh, family activities, prayers, different scriptures, uh, good questions to ask each week. Uh, And so we just want that to be a sweet time and equipping time for you and your family here over the next few weeks. So uh, please pick one up if you haven't done so. 
All right, well, uh, as Kate mentioned, we are ending our series here in the book of Philippians. And once again, it's hard to believe uh, that we're here. It's been 11 weeks walking through this letter. Uh, and I pray that God has been encouraging us as we've considered together what a life worthy of the gospel looks like. That's been our title through this whole series, A Life Worthy of the Gospel. So if you've been tracking with us over the past 11 weeks, we've desired to look at this, to look at a life worthy of the gospel through the lens of meaning, through meaning. What is the meaning of life? Again, we, we have said that often, that this is a question that we ask. What makes for a meaningful life? And we have argued, I think the word itself argues that the gospel uh, really is the only thing that really brings true meaning to our life. It's Christ and his gospel. Uh, it's not a fleeting meaning. It's not a grasping at straws kind of lifestyle. But it is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we truly know uh, that we truly know what matters in our life, what is going to be lasting, what's going to go beyond uh, when we die. It's going to go beyond what, what the world offers us Monday through Saturday. We, we, when we come in here every week, we know uh, where, wherever you are, however you've come in here, we all know that deep down, whatever the world is offering us Monday through Saturday just does not satisfy. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that to be the case. It leaves us wanting. And so the only answer that we have is what Paul offers in this letter earlier when he says, to live is Christ. Amen. To live is Christ. And so uh, this morning we're going to be looking at meaningful generosity. As we've talked about, what are all the meaningful ways in which the gospel and it comes to life in the letter of Philippians? This final section is meaningful generosity. Uh, Paul uh, has done many things in this letter. Hopefully, as I, as I mentioned, you've, you've been able to see that over the past 11 weeks and been encouraged by the various ways in which he desires to exhort, encourage, uh, if necessary, rebuke the Philippians. Um, but among other things, he's also wanting to thank them for a financial gift. And that's what the passage really speaks to here this morning. Uh, they uh, had sent a gift with Epaphroditus, who we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, they sent a gift with him from the city of Philippi to Rome, where Paul is writing this letter. He's in prison as he writes this letter, but uh, the generous Philippians have sent a gift on with Epaphroditus, as, as he clearly says there in verse 18 that we just heard. And so it's clear that this is a generous church. The church in Philippi was a generous church. And so as they have been generous, the call for us as well is to consider what it looks like for us to continue to be a, genuous, a genu generous church. Uh, there, there is very much the encouragement this morning for me, I, I hope you hear, that you, City Church, are generous. And so often what we see in Scripture is that we affirm that, that we, we say yes and amen, and then we say, and let's continue. And all the more, may we be a generous people. And so I hope that that's what the Lord has for us this morning. The gospel revolutionizes what it means to be a generous people. And so what that means is today we are going to talk about money. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about your money. We're talk about my money. Whatever is going on in your heart, as I even mention the word money, as a pastor, 
preaching from the word of God is, is telling. There could be some of you, I'm willing to guess, who are a bit nervous that we're talking about this this morning. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe there's even defensiveness that's rising up within you. Maybe you're, you're getting defensive because you're bracing yourself for the shame that might come with talking about money at church. I believe the reason for that is uh, more than likely many of us have come out of backgrounds where uh, when we heard about money at church, it was talked about in a really unhelpful way. Uh, maybe it was talked about in a, in a very cold, detached from the gospel kind of way. Might have been uh, talked about in ways that uh, guilted you into giving, that, that held up some type of legalistic standard that uh, when you considered it, you were always falling short and you just never experienced the grace of God that comes from financial giving. Maybe some of us were part of churches where the money was just misappropriated, misused, where you, where you did give, but you didn't see the fruit of that giving in the way that the church stewarded those funds. Those things are real. Those things are hurtful in many ways. And yet what I think has happened so often in the church is uh, that we have overcorrected the other way. So instead of talking about money, I think the overcorrection has been we don't talk about it at all. That we, we cease to talk about money. But I, I think that both of those ditches, if those are ditches, so on one side of the road we have the ditch of we're not going to talk about money at all. And then the other ditch on the other side of the road is that we're talking about money in an unhelpful, ungospel-like manner. Uh, both of those we want to avoid. The Bible has a lot to say about the stewardship of money and resources. Jesus himself, as you might know, talks about money a lot. He talks about how we steward our talents and finances quite a bit. So there is something important to consider in just that fact alone, that Jesus talks about money a lot. Now in this passage, Paul is going to help us get a gospel understanding of financial generosity. I want to point out another potential ditch, if, if we could have three ditches in this road, in this illustration. Here's the other ditch that I can see happening, is that when we come to a text like this, when it's about financial generosity in the church, and it is, I think the context, there, there's no doubt that Paul is talking about financial generosity and financial giving, but what we can do is we can quickly de-emphasize that to talk about other kinds of generosity, like the generosity of giving our time or the generosity of how we serve the church. Those things are incredibly important. I hope you don't hear me saying that those are not important. I think you know that they are. But we're not going to discount talking about money just because it's harder to do. In fact, it's a thousand times easier to talk about how we serve in the church and how we use our time in the church, it's a thousand times easier to talk about that than it is about money. Money is the elephant in the room in many ways. Uh, but this morning, we're, we're addressing the elephant as, as it goes. And, and so we want to consider the topic of financial generosity. And so here is the, the main idea for this morning. If you, again, are taking notes, meaningful generosity, partners in hardships, responds sacrificially and speedily 
and reflects the abounding riches of Jesus Christ. Meaningful generosity partners in hardships that responds sacrificially and speedily. And number three, it reflects the abounding riches of Jesus Christ. So first off, meaningful generosity partners in hardship. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at verse 10, the very first verse of our passage this morning, Paul is once again rejoicing in the Lord. He's been doing that all throughout this letter. We, we, we mention it just about every week that Paul says he is rejoicing in God. And what is he rejoicing about specifically here? That the church has renewed concern for him. That word concern could also be translated have the same mind for which should, should sound familiar to us because that's another big theme throughout this whole letter. Paul has talked about have the same mind. He's talking to the Philippians and asking them to think the same way in Christ. And so here Paul is rejoicing that they have the same mind for him. They have the same mind to be concerned for him and about him. We're not, we're not exactly sure when he says there in verse 10 why the Philippians had no opportunity to express their concern for Paul. He said that they've desired but have had no opportunity. It could have been uh, the long distance that Paul was from them now, that he was in Rome and no longer close by in Philippi. Uh, but now they've been able to put together finances and, and give a gift and send it through Epaphroditus. But Paul, whatever the reason is uh, that they weren't able to give, he is certainly overjoyed that they have now revived their concern for him now. So he is joyful. In verses 11 through 13, Paul makes it very clear that he's not dependent on a certain amount of money from them. Uh, he's not dependent on a, a, a number amount or giving that they are engaged in. Indeed, Paul says he is content in Christ in all circumstances. He, he says he's content, he's learning to be content in plenty and in hunger, in need and in abundance. In many ways, this is the opposite of the anxious person we looked at last week. When we thought about anxiety, this, Paul is demonstrating what it looks like to be the opposite of anxious. Paul has quieted his soul before the Lord and is actively learning from God how to be content in any situation. He is found to be obedient to Jesus' teaching on anxiety that we mentioned last week. He does, Paul doesn't ask what he will eat or drink or wear because he knows that God will take care of him. And so, godly contentment is a heart issue, a heart issue. It's not a, it's not a bank account issue. It's the condition of our heart that matters. Even though Paul has been brought low in poverty, as he says, and high in riches, he is not allowing either of those extremes to have much or to have nothing. He's not allowing either of those to affect the worship of God. And so this, this should actually encourage us, it should free us from either of those temptations. It should free us from the, prosper, uh, the pros, prosperity mentality, uh, the prosperity mentality which, which says to us that uh, a sign of true faith is, is, is when we have wealth. That, like if you are wealthy and rich, that is a sign that God is blessing you, which is false, it also should 
It also should uh, protect us from the other side of that, which is a poverty mentality. So we shouldn't have a prosperity mentality or a poverty mentality, which says that only true faith is found among the poor. It's only a found uh, if we empty everything and are destitute, that only that is a, is a sign or fruit of true faith. Do you see how both of those are, are wrong? Paul says he's content in both. He's content in, in abounding riches and he's content in being brought low in poverty. I would argue that in our context today in 2022 here in America that the greater temptation is going to be the, the prosperity mentality, more, more or less. Although we could be tempted by either one of those, I think that we here in this country at this time are constantly bombarded and tempted with wealth and power. Wealth and power bringing us contentment. We're just having a bunch of stuff or being in positions of authority. Like that's the secret sauce. That's what's going to bring us the contentment in our life. Or at the end of the year where this temptation is ramped up even more. All you have to do is turn on your TV and you're constantly bombarded. In the spirit of Christmas, uh, that what you need is that next toy or next thing that's going to make you happy for longer than a week. Do you feel that? You feel that this time of year? I know I do. I'm constantly tempted to, to want something more, to want the next thing, to want the next gadget or a new wardrobe to bring me a sense of power and strength. Even the way that many have twisted and kind of contorted verse 13, which is one of those verses that you've probably uh, heard many times, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Many have, have twisted this verse into being about strengths or abilities on display, and, and, it, and really it speaks to this allergy we have about uh, operating in weakness. Because Paul is not talking about uh, playing football, for example. A lot of football players, if you've noticed, put Philippians 4.13 on their eye black. It's been so misused in this way that uh, I can do anything through Christ. I can, I can throw a pass 50 yards down the field. But what Paul's talking about, if you really look at the context, if you've heard the passage as it was read this morning, is that Paul's saying, I can be content when I'm poor and have nothing, and I can be content when I'm abounding in riches. This is related to the way in which we live unto poverty or riches, and it's only Christ who strengthens us. This is the same theme that we've seen worked out with Paul throughout this letter as well, where he's saying it's Christ, it's God that's working in me in order that I might be obedient and act. And so we can do all things, but it's only because Christ brings his strength. We can boast in weakness. We can boast in having very little or nothing because Christ strengthens us. In verse 14, as we continue, Paul once again returns to praising the Philippians for sharing his trouble. You see that, he says, yes, it was kind of you to share my trouble. This is partnering in hardships. This is bearing of another's burdens. This is a wonderful aspect of meaningful generosity. As Paul ends this letter, it's remarkable how these verses that we are in this morning mirror so very closely the verses that we had at the very beginning of this letter. In fact, I want to read chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, and I hope you hear similar language to what Paul is talking about here at the end of chapter 4. He says, 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my, joy, my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about you, because I hold you all in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Partnership in the gospel, partakers with me of grace. If, if you were with us on week one, you remember that we cast that entire section of Philippians under the heading of meaningful friendship, that that was Paul talking about what are the marks of a meaningful friend. Meaningful friendship, the Philippians are good, godly, long-suffering friends that are pouring themselves out with Paul for the gospel and in support of him. And so in chapter 4, we see a, another aspect of that friendship, and that is that they are partnering with him in his suffering and trouble. They have compassion for Paul, and so they bless him with a financial gift. And in doing this, they are modeling our God of compassion. They are modeling the one who sees and acts. The one who sees where, the, where his children are in need and acts on their behalf. And so money can play a part in that. A lot of you know, in fact, I know a lot of you found us uh, found City Church because we're a part of a, a network called Acts 29. And if you're not familiar with Acts 29, Acts 29 is a uh, church planting uh, mission, um, uh, ministry, uh, a network, uh, churches that are desiring uh, to plant more churches both here in the United States and across the entire world. And so for us here at City Church, a portion of our budget is directed toward Acts 29. It's directed toward giving to that end of church planting, uh, of wanting to see the kingdom of God expand to the ends of the earth. And so actually just a few weeks ago, Chris and I, Molly and Sawyer went to an Acts 29 event, uh, and we were greatly encouraged to hear firsthand of uh, stories from particular churches in other parts of the world where the gospel is thriving. We heard of places in India and Albania. We heard directly from the pastors of what was going on there. Those are really hard places for Christianity, in case you didn't know. Really hard places for the gospel to take off. And the pastors, in fact, one was there in person. He talked about and rejoiced in, in the Lord. He rejoiced in the Lord. He didn't rejoice in money. He didn't rejoice in Acts 29 itself. But he rejoiced in the Lord. He, he rejoiced that God chooses to use his people. God uses the generosity of his people to partner in hardship for the hope of the gospel. That's what was uh, so encouraging to be a part of that evening and understand what the, that type of money is going toward in another part of the world. In a different time zone, maybe 12 hours off from where we are right now, a pastor will open up his Bible and preach the word of God to a people. And they're able to do that because of financial generosity. Meaningful generosity also responds sacrificially and speedily. And here's what I mean by that. Starting in verse 15, Paul talks about how in the first days of the Philippians hearing the gospel, they gave financial support to his ministry. 
So you get the sense that it didn't take very long for the spirit to catch fire in the church of Philippi and for them to open up their treasures and give. They gave to Paul, as he says, as he left Macedonia. So Macedonia was the region that the city of Philippi was in. They gave sacrificially to Paul and his ministry. In fact, listen to this from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is talking to the church in a different part of the region in Corinth, and he says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, which he's talking about the church in Philippi. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave beyond their means of their own accord. So the Philippians were sacrificial, joy-filled givers. They also gave speedily. In verse 16, here in chapter 4, he says, Even in Thessalonica you sent help for my needs once and again. So Thessalonica was the city that Paul traveled to right after Philippi. And so what what he's saying is, I wasn't even gone. Half a second before you sent gifts to Thessalonica. So there was no hesitation or waiting in their generosity. They were an example like the widow that Jesus talks about in the Gospels. The widow who gives two copper coins in the temple. And Jesus says of her that she is given more than all of the rich. Her coins are not worth much in the marketplace, but they are worth eternally more spiritually. The gifts that the Philippians sent were sent quickly and with a personal cost, and all of this was pleasing to God. And I could say that because of verse 18. Look at verse 18 with me. He says that he is well supplied, and having received this gift that they sent, which was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is a reference to Old Testament sacrifices that were made by the temple priests at the time. They would burn offerings, they would burn animals, and, and so the scent, the smoke, would rise upward toward God. And the language also makes us think, think about uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, which talks about us, the church, God's people being a living sacrifice, that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our worship, which is our worship. Our sacrificial, generous giving is an act of worship. And, And because it is worship, it is ultimately a heart issue. Again, this is a posture of our hearts The posture of our hearts in our giving is so much more important than any dollar amount. Where's your heart when it comes to giving financially? If we go back up one verse in verse 17, Paul wants to clarify again that he is not seeking from the Philippians anything specifically. He's not expecting them to give. He doesn't necessarily even want them 
to give. But what he wants is as they are giving, he wants to see fruit. He wants to see the fruit of the Spirit bear in their lives. That's what he talks about when he says he wants to seek the fruit that increases to their credit. He's talked about them being filled with the fruit of righteousness back in chapter 1. He desires to see fruit that comes from this type of generosity. This past summer, uh, as I was wrapping up my time at Redemption Story Church, uh, the staff there had given opportunities for the body to bless uh, Molly and me and my family uh, with notes of encouragement on the way out or through uh, financial giving, which we were very humbled about. We did not ask for that, but when that was the, the call that went out, is if you would like to bless the Jamesons uh, financially, then please Seek the Lord in that. So as you guys are, as you guys here at City Church are incredibly generous, so are the people at RSC. Uh, And so we received those types of gifts, and we received many, many notes of encouragement, but there was one note in particular, one gift that meant the most to us. And this was from a faithful brother, a faithful member of Redemption Story Church who had been through significant financial hardships over the past year. Um, We had cried with him, prayed with him, uh, given to him to help him get on his feet. And so I opened up a card that he gave me, and there was a brief note of thanks, and there was an amount of money in that card that I knew was beyond stretching for this man. And I wept tears of thanksgiving. And it's not because I needed that money. It wasn't because I needed that dollar amount that was in the card. The reason I wept is because what I was seeing was a beautiful fruit being, it was bearing in that brother's life. Friends, in your giving financially to this church and to your community, nothing brings your pastors more joy than knowing that your sacrifice is pleasing to the Lord and is the fruit of the Spirit displayed in your life. I know that I don't care what number goes on the check. What I care about more is that the fruit of the Spirit, God himself is working in your life through your generosity to give in this way. Finally, meaningful generosity reflects the abounding riches of Christ. Once again, verse 19, another great verse. And my God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In our supplying the needs of others, in our partnering in hardships, in our giving sacrificially, we are glorifying the God of all riches, the abundant mercy of Christ. It is God who ultimately supplies these needs. It is God working through his people to do such things. This isn't, again, this is not prosperity gospel that says God will give material blessings when we are obedient. That's not what this is. This is the grace of God to pour out on us all blessings in Christ Jesus. We have them all in Christ. Every need is met in Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that every need, everyone, is met in Jesus? The one for our sake, though he was rich, became poor, so that that through his poverty we might become rich. Even in the midst of our sufferings and anxieties and afflictions, we ask 
God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There has never been anything more precious or valuable than his sin-canceling, sinner-forgiving blood. The fount of the riches of his glory and grace which he lavished upon us. Listen to the words of an old Charles Wesley hymn. Some of you might know this one. The name of it is, And can it be that I should gain? Maybe you've sung it before in church. And can it be that I should gain any interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. If he who opened wide his arms on the cross to love us to the end, how could we not live as generous saints? How could we not give out of thankful and joyful hearts the desire to please our God and worship? My God has supplied and will supply every need of yours and mine in Christ. That's his promise. So then, your financial generosity to the church is an an act of, of worship. Your giving financially is an obedient act of worship in Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. You're a generous people. I I pray that as we talk about this, that shame or guilt isn't the the premier emotion that you're experiencing right now. I've seen the fruit that increases to your credit. I've seen that fruit. So let's not shy away from talking about being meaningfully generous people. Again, I'm not interested in shaming. I'm not interested in guilting you into giving. We don't ever want there to be a disconnect between the gospel and financial giving. And so again, where this has been a painful conversation in the past, I trust God is going to be able to redeem that for us. He is able to redeem that topic. He is able to redeem the ministry of giving. Do you believe that this morning? Pastor uh, Alistair Begg puts it this way. He said, some of us have IRAs, which are individual retirement accounts, but we should all have IEAs, which is an individual eternal account. We should be laying up treasures in heaven. Now, we could spend, uh, I could spend a whole another 30 minutes and another sermon altogether about how your faithful giving to City Church is changing marriages, it's changing our people for the better, the gospel is going forth in our city. That's what, that's what your funds, that's what your giving is doing. And so I do want to encourage you to join us in this kingdom work, to join your family in giving to this end. And it happens through your tithing and your gifts. 
Now, as we've talked about this again, if something in you has, has come up and it's shameful, or there's frustration or anger, uh, I, we, Chris and I, Andrew and I, would love to talk to you about that. We don't want you to leave here today to, for that to be kind of simmering under the surface. If it's wanting to be more faithful with your budget, if you're struggling with even how to do a budget, how, is, how do you steward your money? Maybe that's been an area of failure. Maybe that's been a really sore subject in your heart or in your home. And we'd love to have that conversation with you. We'd love to equip you. We would love to talk about how we spend money at our church. We, have a, we had a member meeting a couple weeks ago. We had our budget up on the screen, and we, we are open about that. There are questions about how your money is spent here at City Church. We want to have that conversation. As we conclude, uh, I think one way I would love to end this letter, it's a glorious letter. Uh, I'm so grateful to the Lord that he gave us Philippians. Would you stand? And if you have the word, whether it's on your phone or if you have a hard copy Bible, what I would love to do as we end is say in unison uh, verse, verse 20. Uh, Kate read it over us a few minutes ago, but this is a sort of doxology. This is sort of Paul's way of of ending this letter before he says goodbye to his beloved friends in Philippi. And so let us read verse 20 together. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us, your overwhelming generosity, the giving nature that Christ had on the cross that spilled his blood, his infinitely valuable sin-killing, sinner-forgiving blood, and that we are found in him. We are forgiven. I pray that as we consider our giving, as we consider uh, the checks we write, the, the deposits and, and withdrawals that we make, that we would see that unto you, the giver of all good things. And where this has been hard in our life, where this has caused us to stumble, will you help us, Spirit? Will you convict us of those things, and will you, with your abundant grace, Help us walk in newness of life. And we know you're able to redeem all things. And we, in fact, see that you are redeeming all things. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen.